Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. We would like to get into some listener feedback this season, so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything even tangentially related to the podcast, you can send an email to Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, at tracknerds.com, or hit me up on Twitter, where my handle is, at tracknerds. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. So today's episode with Tana brings us to a part of the world we have not spent a lot of time in. Kantiki was probably the most recent time we were kind of in this part of the world. And this is the first movie in this whole project that is set in a country that I had never heard of. Had had you heard of uh, Vanuatu? Uh, I, I don't think so. Okay. It was definitely not on my radar at all. And so Tana refers to an island actually kind of in the country or the Republic of Vanuatu and off the east coast of Australia, kind of north, northwest of New Zealand. So we're dealing with a, I hate to say primitive tribe, but that that is what we would recognize it as. There's there's definitely a lot of bare breasts and naked butts in this movie as as these these people is just kind of live. But What's interesting, too, is how they deal with... So this is set in the 80s. I think specifically 1987 is when this seems to be set. And they're basically living the same way their ancestors have for millennia. But what surprised me is how aware they are of the quote-unquote modern or Western world and the outside world. Yeah, like they... They seemingly, you know, they, they live this way. It's it's not because and, it's not ignorance. Right. And and I think when I when I first started watching this movie, I was like, Oh, I wonder like how come these people haven't ever been contacted? Surely if they were contacted by, you know, by like explorers or something, then they would want to adopt our Western ways because, you know, why wouldn't you want McDonald's and, and Netflix? Um, but like they totally know about the western world they, they don't even like they live so close that like they these two characters walk like they're within walking distance of a like a, a church and a, a, a little colony on their island that is like wearing western clothes and like has a christian church there like they know about the western world i think one of them in the movie uh shows a picture that he went to the uk he went to london and met Prince Charles, right, and one of the or Prince Philip, uh, and then Prince one, Philip, and Prince then Philip. one of the characters is even named Charlie, and it's like, oh, that's an odd name. It's like, no, because they use the right. Brit- British name Charlie, and just thought it was a fun name that they could use. Yeah, they know about the outside world. They know, you know, they are aware of modern culture. They just don't really care about it. They just want to keep living the way they are, which I think is like, I, it's really cool. But it's it was just uh, it was kind of eye opening to to me that my first. In- instinct was oh well they probably just don't know about modern culture right that's kind of what you assume that they just haven't been contacted yet and the couple comparisons that come to mind is one i just thought of just now is it's probably not too dissimilar to amish communities in the united states that are obviously fully aware of modern technology and modern ways of life and they just choose to in varying degrees obviously we, we you know there's right it's it's not I, I don't know of any communities around here that fully go no electricity but they definitely go for a simpler life and so this is i think just the south pacific version of that they are just choosing to live this way it differs a little bit though because with you know when you have like amish communities that's more of like a religious thing where they're choosing to live that way because of their religion whereas this is it's almost like well it's cultural right but it's it's not it's not like oh we need to like make sure we keep this culture the way we have it like it's like well, we don't we don't really care for that like that's not really our thing we're just gonna keep doing this 
At least that's the way that, that I saw it. Right, right. It's, they don't feel like it's morally superior. It is just, right. it's just like, this is a better way of life. So I always think about, it's the dolphin thing. I don't know if we've talked about dolphins before, but the whole idea of like, dolphins are crazy intelligent. <laughs> Obviously, they don't build cities or anything. But it's the whole idea of, we stress out so much in the Western world about, you know, trying to, you know, quote unquote, keep up with the Joneses and just the stress to succeed and just, we have a lot of great things, but we're also always stressing it out, stressing out about it. And we just wish everyone wishes they were at the beach, but then they come home to the grind versus dolphins are insanely intelligent and just swim and play all day. So it's like they're always on vacation. So who has a better civilization, humans or dolphins? Right. And or I remember I've, I've mentioned this on one episode of the podcast before. It's my have been track nerds, but the the woman who was like a writer in New York City making sick figures, and obviously everyone at her office would talk about like, oh, I can't wait to get away for two weeks and go down to the Caribbean, and like that was like the goal in life was this two week window every year that you had to bust your butt and you know die an early death because of how much stress you're undergoing. She just said screw it and just moved down to the Caribbean island and opened like a, up a ice cream stand. So live yeah. the vacation. Why do you have to right. make six figures when you can live the life you want for way less than that if you're just willing to make those changes? Again, I just think that's maybe just how these people are viewing life. It's just a simpler way of life. They're not starving. No. They're living fine. They're, li- they're, living, they're living their life. And the only thing that confused me is uh, I would think, obviously, you know, people getting sick. There's, you know, they don't have the modern medicine to kind of help save some lives. And then what they don't really address in the show is how are they not just like, covered in bug bites and just getting just i would think they would just be riddled with that kind of thing and i don't know enough about that specific island but i I would think you'd be worried about those kinds of things but anyway so that's the setting of this story that is based on an actual occurrence in the 80s about this i guess you would call the star-crossed lovers this is almost like a romeo and juliet but in the South Pacific. Yes. I mean, it's, it's not, uh, and it's, it's not even like based on Romeo and Juliet. It's just a true story that is super similar. Right. The difference is it's not, it's not rival tribes that aren't allowed to marry. It's more of kind of the opposite. Right. They have a tradition of arranged marriages and these two young people fall in love and she gets arranged to be married to someone else in a neighboring tribe to kind of shore up that right. alliance and they run away together instead. I kind of misread the Wikipedia page, and I guess I'm glad I did. So even though I had heard it compared to Romeo and Juliet, spoiler alert, I still wasn't expecting the double suicide at the end because reading on the Wikipedia page, the actors playing Wawa and Dane, their last names are Wawa and Dane. So I figured, oh, they're playing yeah. themselves. So they must live. And I'm like, oh, oh yeah, no. nope, that's not the case. They commit suicide that's together at what the they end. Named, yeah, that's just what they named the characters. And apparently, like, they shot this, like, those two actors, like, they're playing themselves. And, like, the, the tribe that they're showing are actually those tribes. And they actually live like that. They just, the film crew just kind of was like, hey, can we tell this story? And they're like, yep, we'll help you out. We'll be all the characters. Yes. So all exclusively non-professional actors people actually from these tribes living in these living in this part of the world they basically just agreed to be filmed so i guess i do kind of it's similar to like when i talk about the writer in south dakota similar kind of thing where they just tell a story yeah. in the world with non-professional actors which yeah. in the united states seems crazy for some reason it seems less crazy if you're gonna get these native tribes but 
kind of to what we were talking about before with, yeah, they're fully aware of Western culture to the point that they're not even afraid of the, you know, so-called corrupting influence. It's like, oh, no, sure, come and hang out with us for a while and you can film us or whatever. That's cool. You're cool, too. Right. We do this. You do your thing. You can film us. Yep. So, yes, this whole movie, this star-crossed, sad, tragic love story that actually happened 20 years ago. I don't know. I just, it's just so cool that it was the actual people. Sorry, not just the actual people, but the actual tribes. And then the big change that they made after thousands of years of culture and they do address it in the movie, is that, hey, we do need to compromise on this and allow love marriages. And that is kind of the big change. And then to this day, they do now allow love marriages because they were just basically like, our population is dwindling so much, we can't afford to have people go join the Christians or the Western world or people kill themselves if they can't marry who they want. We just don't have the numbers for that. So if we're going to survive, we have to compromise. And that was like, that was another thing that I completely did not expect at the end where it's like, you know, I, I don't think they, or no, they, they do. The the tribal leaders are, are talking about it, about how they need to allow love marriages. And I was like, I did not expect that. I, I didn't expect them to, you know, change their tribal ways because a lot of the times when you have a, you know, a quote unquote primitive tribal group like this, one of the things that is portrayed about them is how stuck in their ways they are. Right. And so to see a story like this where it's like, um, no, like it's it's people like things happen and and these groups will react to things that happen. And and I thought that was really cool. The other thing that was sad to see was looking at the actors. So do you see the actor who played Dane? He died just a couple years ago or actually just last year. He, he was only 24 years old. So he completely you know nothing to do with the movie. He was out working somewhere and got a cut on his leg that went septic and he died. Oh, no. I didn't see so, that. So, super sad. Just just, uh, just 24 years old. The film itself was nominated for Best Foreign Film at the Oscars. It is a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. And I was, frankly, surprised how engaging it was. And I think it helps that it's it's a newer movie. I mean, this film is just from, what, 2015, I think? 2016 yeah so it's definitely kind of has a modern sentiment it's not slow paced at all it's it takes a while getting into the world before you kind of get into the actual conflict that's going to try to tear them apart and i don't know it's just it was it was fascinating i mean a a comp might be something like a apocalypto but that's set you know hundreds of years ago the fact that this is native tribes but also set just 30 years ago and a true story and it's it was the it's like less than two hours too like it's it was a pretty quick watch yeah a hundred minutes so uh, just over an hour and a half yeah it was what paced pretty well super good story and even the uh, like the performances for two you know two main characters who are you know basically not necessarily playing themselves but had never never acted before like the performances are good. Yes, yes, that definitely impressed me as well. It looks like the directors have not done a movie since or don't have anything coming up necessarily. Kind of more just the set, the, the setting itself. And again, because this is you know a part of the world that's been relatively unchanged for so long. I, I did like all the little things like the guy she was supposed to marry was his name was Captain Cook. Like, yes. When the when the at the beginning when the grandfather takes a little kid to the volcano yes, he points yes. out he said oh yeah right there that's where Captain Cook landed on our island yes and so they have an appreciation of history and and it wasn't mm-hmm. even like a and I rue the day it's like no they're they're very right. accepting now there is the conflict yes. with the other tribe and that was kind of interesting too that while they're at the vol- volcano they get attacked by the other tribe because they saw him as the shaman and were blaming him for their crop failures. Right. And so they're like, well, we got to take him out so we can have good crops. 
So kind of from their point of view, it's like, well, yeah, if, if that's what you believe, then you need to take him out to protect your people. Right. It's justified. <laughs> right. Now, I mean, it's, the, it's not the belief, it's, it's, right, the belief itself right. was had a logic to it. I really did appreciate, too, I, my, in my notes here, I wrote volcano as spiritual experience. And the idea that they yeah. kind of saw this volcano as this old ancient life giver and it had the name of like a female god don't those even call it like the grandmother or something like it's i kind of got that spiritual vibe while they were hanging out at the volcano Mm -hmm. and they also did a great job of setting everything up too so like the volcano is kind of set up early on as this you know reverent location then obviously that they come back to it at the end and that's actually where they kill themselves it's basically the same place that the grandpa and the little sister were at the beginning yeah other little cultural things (laughs) the line that's like they the, the boys are swimming and the girl runs off with his little cloth that goes in front and they call it the penis sheath and so yes. like they're, they're chasing the she's like she stole my penis sheath like, like, <laughs> it's just how comfortable they are with mostly nudity so they, they mostly wear uh clothing uh, of you know grass clothing on the lower half and right what's interesting too is i don't know how to say this. so like basically how the taboo is sexualized so if you don't cover things or have shame associated with say women's breasts then they become desexualized and it's the fact that we take such pains to hide them that makes them sexualized is that and so and you, that's kind of highlighted right. when yeah, you see a culture see like this and then you see also references to say jokes in the islamic world where the guys are drooling over a woman's calf or ankle because it's normally hidden and so even sure. something like that seems transgressive and become sexualized. And I don't just have a real point there, but I just think it's an interesting look at human psychology and human sexuality when you kind of see how we act when things become sexualized or not, are not as inherent as I think we treat them as, and they're actually way more cultural than you would you would imagine. Right. Um, the screenplay also just does a great job, of, we were kind of talking about it a little bit, but it's a great job of setting everything up. So even like the poison mushrooms make a point of the little sister tries to grab some early yeah. wishes with grandpa. And he's like, no, don't eat the ones. Yeah. The ones on the trees are poisonous. And it's, oh, that's a, Which that's a good lesson. I didn't I didn't even necessarily catch that as like a Chekhov's gun type deal. Correct. Absolutely. Um, I just, I took that as a, because it, it serves two purposes. One, it sets up the mushrooms, but it also shows this like, this dynamic between the grandfather and the little kid. Like, this is how this culture passes knowledge down from one generation to the next as you go out with your grandpa and you just learn about the world because he's gonna you know he teaches her about the mushrooms and he you know shows her like their spiritual roots at this volcano and so it kind of all fit in that scene you know by itself but then later on you see dane go and picking the poison mushrooms which again i didn't process that as oh he's gonna eat those and kill himself i thought he was gonna like poison somebody or use those as, as some kind of plan to you know sabotage the other tribe maybe poison their leader poisoned the guy who was going to marry Wawa. But, you know, then they, they use those poison mushrooms on themselves. But yeah, that was a, I thought that was real. That was like really good writing, how they set that up and showed it to you without making it like, oh, look, you know, pay attention to this because this is going to, you know, be really important later. It was just kind of a, a thing that happened in passing that fit with the rest of the scene. But it, when you go back and look at it um, after watching the entire movie, it, it was a really good setup. Right. And of course, the best Chekhov's guns aren't obvious. You don't realize you're only supposed to realize check retroactively what it was. Yeah. Yes. And especially if they can serve two purposes, like you were saying. Yeah, they did say too, because they were all non-professional actors, they basically picked Dane specifically. They said it's like 
everyone just recognized he was the best looking guy in the tribe. So we'll make him yeah. the lead. <laughs> so they so they said, yep, this is our guy. He's the main character because he's the best looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is interesting, though, too, because despite what I said about, you know, different cultures and different things that are sexualized, attractiveness seems to be more universal because the guy, what he was a sure. good looking guy. And, yeah, he's a good-looking dude. Right, and Wawa's really cute, too. So regardless of culture there, we do seem to kind of agree on face, like face physically attractiveness, which is kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Um, man, what can we talk about to keep this from being the shortest episode ever? <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's such a, I don't want to say small as an in insignificant, but small as in not far-reaching. Like, this story has, you know, big implications, like, for this tribe, obviously. It was, like, the incident that caused this tribe to allow love marriage. But outside of that, it's not really, like, a worldwide historical event like the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan or something. I guess I can real quickly just talk about a little bit of the history of Vanuatu. And there actually isn't a lot of knowledge of the history before the Europeans arrived because they didn't have any written records. And it's also not a place where they've spent a lot of time doing any kind of archaeological work. It does look like the islands were settled just 3,000 years ago. As far as Europeans, they do mention Captain Cook in the film, and he explored the islands in the 1770s. But they actually had Europeans there almost 200 years earlier in the early 1600s when the Portuguese arrived. Missionaries started arriving around 1839, both Catholic and Protestant. And at first, the natives were actually hostile towards them, unlike what we saw in the film. And after years of being under control of the French and the British, both at the same time, then the British separately after World War II, Vanuatu did finally become independent in 1980, so not long before the events in the film here. The whole country is just over 300,000 people spread across all these islands. That's fewer people than are in Sedgwick County in Kansas. 75% of them do still live in kind of their tribal villages, but, you know, their 25% is their small cities and their somewhat westernized government and infrastructure and everything. But with all that, it's actually kind of interesting. They do, you know, these pollings around the world, or I forget what the exact body is that does this, but... It's been called the happiest place on earth as far as like how happy the people are, the citizens are. And then they also look at the environmental impact, which is, of course, very low since 75% are living tribally still. So, yeah, just an interesting place. And actually, I didn't realize this until doing some extra research just now on YouTube and stuff. It looks like a great place to visit. Again, if it's just kind of this tropical South Pacific thing near Australia, New Zealand with just the happiest people in the world. I mean, that's that's kind of awesome. So next week, we're headed to Germany, where we deal with the fall of communism in East Berlin with Goodbye Lenin. <laughs>